0: This Sunday, we're starting a new series. It's called Mothers of Christ. What's next Sunday? Mother's Day. If you forgot, now you know. You better get ready, because Mother's Day is next week. So, we got to know that. We are going to talk about Jesus' story through the story of some women. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's start with our text. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. All right, so this is how Matthew begins his gospel. I want to tell you about this guy. Messiah means king. Jesus is the king. He's a descendant of these people. Let's talk about who he comes from. He says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. We've heard of them. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers, Remember, Jacob has 12 sons, Joseph's one of them, Judah's one. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, who is Tamar? And why do we want to know? That seems like a change from the way that he's been doing things, right? That was a list of all men for a second. And don't say he couldn't have put the women in there. We'll talk about that in a second. But why did Matthew suddenly highlight one of the women? And that's the question we're going to answer this month. Because he's going to do it not once, not twice, not three, not four, but there are going to be five women in this genealogy. I'm going to preach on four of them. Kyler's going to take the last one, the last Sunday of May, because I'm on watch, because my wife might be a mother again anytime. Getting close to the end of the month here. So I'm not going to schedule myself to be out. But we're going to talk about these women who are the four mothers of Christ. Four as in before. Not that Jesus had four moms running around, all right? Just for clarity. So, in Matthew chapter 1, five women are mentioned, though we know about at least three more. Abraham's wife was Sarah. We know a lot about her. Isaac's wife was Rebecca. We know a lot about her. We know that Jacob had two wives plus two servants that he had kids with. We know about all four of them. Leah was Judah's mother, but none of them are mentioned. The first one mentioned is Tamar. So what is special about Tamar that we want to know? In all five stories, the attitudes and responses of the women, despite their context, are worth reflecting. What I mean by that is there are going to be things in these stories that you do not want to emulate and that I hope you never experience. Because these women went through some nasty Especially these first four, and really all five of them, go through some nasty in their story. And I hope you don't have to go through that. But the way they respond is something that's worth us thinking about, and there's aspects of it that are worth living out as well. All right, And I think that is why Matthew is telling us about these five women and highlighting their names in this gene- genealogy. One other thing that's not up here, that we'll talk about more next week, is none of the first four are from Israel. One of the rules that God's going to make later is don't marry any foreign women. All four of these are foreign women. Isn't that interesting? What does that mean? Why is that important? We'll get to that. So, let's talk about Tamar, the first of these mothers. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 38. Now, Tamar was married to Ur, which was Judah's oldest son. But God thought that he was wicked, and so he put him to death. No kids yet, Ur is dead. According to the customs and later the law, the next brother in line has to marry the woman to produce offspring. Because in this society, we don't have Social Security. There's nothing for retirement. If you don't have kids, nobody's going to take care of you you got nothing going on. So they're doing this to try to take care of these women, to make sure that they have a place later on. So she is going to be given to the next son. So number two, Onan doesn't like that, and he makes sure that she does not get pregnant. God does not like what he does, and so God puts him to death too. All right? Two sons down from Judah. Let's read starting in verse 11, chapter 38. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, daughter, uh, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah, to the men who were shearing his sheep and his friend Hira the Adulamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on the way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to a name, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that, though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. Y'all see what's going to happen? Kind of. So Tamar recognizes she is being denied what she's supposed to get. She's supposed to have this next son, and it's time now. He's old enough, but Judah says, I don't know, the last two died. I got a bad feeling about this third one, but Tamar has a plan. Here's where the parental advisory comes in, all right? It looks good in here. We should be good to go. Here we go. Verse 15, when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? your seal and its cord, and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. (laughs) This is is a mess, isn't it? This is a mess. That's that's what I'm telling you guys. This this is a mess, and there's going to be some messy stories. There's some messy stories. If you don't know, there's some messy stories in the Bible. If you try to emulate and be just like every character in the Bible, your life's going to be a wreck. All right? There is one we emulate. Who's that? The Jesus. That's right. A lot of these other stories are to show us that I got mess in my life, too, and God's still going to use me, but I'm jumping ahead to where we're going to get to. All right. So after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. So she's not taking up a new job. This was a one-time deal for a purpose. Now, Judah tries to send the goat but no one knows about her. No one says, no, there hasn't been any prostitute around here. We don't know what you're talking about. Well, he doesn't want to get embarrassed. He says, I'm going to be a laughingstock if I keep on trying to do this. So I said, I tried. I did my best. Oh, well, it is what it is. Verse 24. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law Tamar is guilty of prostitution. What's Judah going to say? As a result, she's now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. He doesn't know that. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. (laughs) Judah recognized them and said, she is in the right unlike me. Since I wouldn't give her to my son Sheila, and he did not sleep with her again. Now that bracketed part there, I've changed the translation slightly. A lot of your translations are going to say something about she's more righteous than I am. And when we talk about the word righteous, we think about a moral quality. Is this a moral quality story? Not really. But she's right, and he's not. And you get that, don't you? You feel that this is about this is about justice. It, it's about justice. Is she knows something is supposed to be hers in the way the system is set up, and she is being denied what she needs, and so she doesn't go quietly. So, that's a good that's a good point, Billy. Is that the right way to go about doing it? Well, let's 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 put ourselves in Tamar's shoes for a second here, right? Where. What, four, four, three, three and a half, four thousand years ago, women have no rights. They're treated like objects. What, What else can she do? She's attached to Judah's family. No one else will marry her because she's a widow. Her parents are getting older. What one thing does she have that she can use for her future? Her body. Her body is the one thing she can use. It's all bad. It's all about. And you know what? What does Matthew do? He said, whose mother was Tamar in the genealogy. I know, these are, these are going to be new stories for some folks. That's good. We want some of these stories. Because there's some things we need to pull out. And what do we need to pull out? What, what, do, we, what do we gain here from this story? Perspective, Perspective is a good point. Here's what I want to point out Tamar uses resourcefulness and creativity, right? You know, the choices look like I'm going to, I don't know, turn to actual prostitution for my life, because that's what other widows have to do, because they don't have any recourse, and that's the only way they can do anything. Or I'm going to just die in poverty, because I can't force him to do anything here. And she picks something else. She says, I've got an idea, and I'm going to do it. But it was pretty deceitful. You know, jo- you know, Jacob, Judah's father, you know what his name means? Deceiver. This, this, is not, this is not the family of holy people who are always making the right choice. The, yeah, that's right. Like this Judah and all of his brothers get together and their sister, I mean, what do we got? Any more kids that showed up? Their, their sister gets raped at one point. And they go in, and they tell these guys, oh, you need to be circumcised like we are. And so all the guys get circumcised because they say, yeah, we'll give you our, our sister. And while they're circumcised and they're healing, Judah and all his brothers come in, and they kill all of them. All right? This is this is not a family that's got a bunch of behaviors we want to emulate. They are the people God chose to work with, though. And there's a little bit we can kind of gather from these stories and say, why, why does Matthew want us thinking about Tamar? And, and here's some positive aspects we can pull out of that story. I don't think that's the whole reason he wants us thinking about her. I think he wants us to, to realize, too, that Jesus' family story is not pristine. Right? And God works through the mess. Right? God works through the mess. If there wasn't a mess, he wouldn't have, right. But do you have a mess in your life? We got a mess in our life. We got a mess in our life. We see things like this. We see people denied justice, right? And sometimes it takes heaven and earth moving for justice to show up. That's not right. That's not how it should be. This is not a story of how things should be, is it? But it's it's a story about what happened and how justice was brought about. Is Jesus going to bring about justice? Is he going to do it the right way? Yes, Should he have had to go to the cross? No. But he did anyway, right? And he goes into the nasty, right? Maybe some of that's in this story too. So let's continue our genealogy. We've got to talk about one more woman today because we've got to do some one nineteen, so we don't have five Sundays to do the women. we've well, we got to do it in four, so we're doing two today. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Aminadab. the father of Nashon, the father of Salmon. So this is, if you're tracking with history, they're in exile in Egypt. They've been living in Egypt. They've become slaves in Egypt. And then Moses comes, and God breaks them out of slavery with the ten plagues. The Red Sea is parted. They come out, then they wander for 40 years in the desert, They've been wandering these 40 years because they wouldn't go into the promised land because they were too afraid and they didn't trust God. And finally, at the end of 40 years, everyone over the age of 20 has died. Moses is dead. Joshua is now leading the people. All right? And Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. All right who is Rahab. More people will know this story than the Tamar story. There's another Tamar story in the Bible, too. There's another Tamar, and her story's just as bad as this one. But let's talk about Rahab. Who is Rahab? Joshua, now the leader of the people of Israel. They're going to go in. They finally said yes to God, we're going to go into the land. So Joshua is sending spies to the first city they're going to take, Jericho. Jericho has walls that are 12 feet thick all the way around it. The Israelite army has no way to break in. But God says, trust me, I've got a plan. Okay? So Joshua sends in two spies, and they're going to go check it out and get a feel for the land, get the layout of things. It's a good plan for when you're doing this kind of operation. They visit Rahab's. Now Rahab is a prostitute, yes, Why are they at Rahab's house? I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. Holly says, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah. (laughs) There might be some truth to that. I don't know. But they go and visit Rahab's. The king of Jericho catches wind, that they are there. And he goes to Rahab's, and he says, Rahab, bring those men out. She says, well, I'll tell you what she says. Rahab had hidden the two men in Joshua chapter 2 verse 4, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So, why is Rahab willing to lie and protect these spies? What are they coming to do? They're coming to 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 kill the whole pe- group of people in Jericho. Rahab's in Jericho. Why does she want to protect him? Maybe, maybe God told her to. Let's see what she says. Let's see what she says. It says in verse nine. Listen to what Rahab. The foreigner prostitute says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. You remember what these spies' parents did? They went to check out the land and said, we can't conquer that place. Those people are too scary. And God says, You fools. <laughs> you have me. We're going to be fine, but you wouldn't trust me. And they all died. Their kids got to make it, the rest of them died. What does Rahab in the city of Jericho say to these people? Your God's the supreme God. I know He's going to give it to you. Now, Swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all their families. So the spies make a promise, with terms, to spare her and her family. She's got to have this scarlet cord hanging out of her window. And if she does that, anybody that's in her house is going to be spared. I accept your terms, she replied. And she sent them on their way, leaving the scarlet rope hanging from the window. That's how they got out. They climbed down the rope, coming out the wall, bright red, can't miss it. Right? Sure, her place is on the wall, 12-foot-thick wall. So Joshua makes it clear over and over again in the next few chapters, Rahab the prostitute is to be spared. So God gives them the plan, they march around the city for days and days, the seventh day they march around, at the end of seven times marching around, they yell, they blow the trumpets, they got the Ark of the Covenant with them the walls fall down, they go in they kill everyone in the town except for so Joshua spared, that's supposed to say six Joshua six, not Joshua two, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. She's in the story too, huh? That's the second woman that Matthew wants us to remember. I, I hear you. There are some other serious issues to address in the future about the slaughter of the Canaanites by the Israelites. And that is something that drives people crazy constantly. Because the way that Jesus is is different, right? And there are stories in the Bible that we're going to have to take and we say, God, you wanted us to hear this for some reason. And we're going to wrestle with that and we're not going to use it as a template for how we live our life. Because we're only going to use God in the flesh as a template for how we live our life, right? And did Jesus go around killing people? No. Did Jesus go around waving a sword? No. Jesus went around dying on the cross. Yes. He gave up himself. He loved and he served and he poured out his life. How do we live? Love and serve and pour out our lives. Rahab, how did, what did she do? She saw clearly, didn't she? She saw who was in charge, and it wasn't her king. It was the Lord, right? And she protected others. She protected the spies, but who does she get to protect through this too? Her whole family. Her whole family gets to come, and they get to join God's people through this because she had it figured out. And you say, she, what, she's, she's just a prostitute. She, she lied to cover for these guys. But she becomes part of the story of Jesus, right? Part of the story of the people of God. Even though her life looks messy, she still sees it. So why did Matthew highlight these women? Why does Matthew want us to care? Look at those words. Resourceful. Creative insightful protective do we know what about anybody else that carries those values and virtues mothers do that's right mamas do who else who's our template was jesus resourceful he's creating something out of nothing sometimes five loaves and two fish feed five thousand is he creative you heard any parables lately change your life. What about insightful? He didn't just see what was going on. He could see inside. And through and and past and everywhere else, right? And protective. Is Jesus taking care? What's Jesus doing? He's going to the cross because of love, right? Because he's going to make sure you get to be part of his family. Do these women reflect things that Jesus is going to be later on? Absolutely. Does their messy lead to the Savior? Yeah, it does. Is that good news? It's good news. Let's share some more good news. God uses messy people to move his story forward. The story's still going, right? We're not all the way there yet. Jesus has come and there's great things as the kingdom grows and becomes bigger and more, and God wants messy people in his family. Tell me. That's, this is great news. This is great news. We've all got mess in us. Some, of us. some of us wear it on our sleeves more than others, right? But even the ones of us who aren't saying it, we know we've got it in there. God uses messy people to move his story forward. God wants to use you for that. Let me read one more story. This is from the book of Matthew, chapter 12. It's going to tie us together. As Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. Someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are standing outside and they want to speak to you. Jesus asked, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, mamas, this would be a little offensive. (laughs) If your kid says this about you. Mary's going to get it later. She hadn't gotten it yet at the point of the story. Or his brothers. But he says, he pointed to his disciples and said, look. These are my mother and brothers. I'm sure when he pointed to Peter and said, These are my mother and my brothers, Peter went, But hey. (laughs) Anyone who does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What's Jesus just done? He's creating new family, right? Do you want to be part of Jesus' family? Jesus wants you to be part of his family story. How do you become part of the family? You've got to do the will of the Father. In the end, it looked messy. Tamar brought about justice. That's what God wanted in that situation. We don't like how it looked. I'm not saying we need to do it the same way. Good came out of it, and justice came will prevail and must prevail that's right a lot of the people are messed up but good comes out of it for we know Paul says in Romans that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose right what does that mean that means we're going to mess up God is going to work good That doesn't mean everything that happens is going to be good. (laughs) The end result is God is going to do something good, no matter how messy you make it. Do we want to try to make it messy? Or no? (laughs) Not, Not particularly, no. But can God work through the mess? God can work through the mess. Jesus wants you to be part of his story. We do the will of the Father. Do you want to be part of the family? We're here, and now we get to go after this and do what Jesus did and does outside these walls because this place can't trap in what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is too big for this room, right? And if it gets stuck in here, then it we're not doing what we're supposed to. It's got to go outside. I'm glad you're here. I love you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants you as part of his family. If you haven't joined it, man, why not today? Why not today? Come on as we stand and as we sing.